Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 283 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We are at 9 million downloads. That's crazy, and approaching our fifth anniversary as well. And we got some fun stuff for you. So hang on, I'll tell you about it next time we get together here on the podcast. But uh, yeah, watch it. There is uh, some fun giveaways to mark five years coming down the pipe for you, as well as a lot of great episodes. Thank you so much for taking the time, not just to listen, but to tell other people. I share podcasts I care about all the time. And one of the easiest ways to do it is to post it to social, take a screenshot, uh, link to it. Uh, You can also text your friends episodes. Did you know that in most podcast apps, particularly Overcast, which is what I use, uh, you can actually, if there's a part you really want someone to hear, you can share the episode at the current time. Yeah, all that fun stuff. So thanks for doing that. Thank you for the ratings and reviews as well. I read every single one of them. We are well over a thousand now on iTunes and beyond. So just thank you. You guys are the best. And we are bringing you a conversation that I think is fascinating on so many different levels. First of all, uh, if you're in the church world, succession is a major issue. Secondly, if you're in the business world, succession is a major issue. Uh, There is this thing called founder syndrome. And what happens is those of us, aka people like me, and probably a lot of you, start things. But then the question is, well, what happens when we don't run them anymore? And it's not going particularly well in corporate. Something like 90% of all businesses started by their founder never make it to the second generation. There's no succession plan. And the church is not far behind on that. So uh, I was fascinated to get to know Lee Kreitcher and Jason Howard over the last few years. And what I think you're going to really appreciate about this is not only have they done a leadership transition with Lee handing it off to Jason, but they've done a model change as well. The way Lee led the church is different than the way Jason is leading the church. And it's just fascinating. I sat down with both of them in Pittsburgh at Amplified Church and had a great conversation with them. Speaking of which, uh, by the way, if you want to know a little bit more, Jason, Lee, myself, Tony, Sam, my wife, Tony, Sam Collier, and others are going to be speaking at the Future Forward Conference. I'm so excited to be there live October 1st and 2nd. And if you're looking to transition your church to reach the next generation, you don't want to miss it. It is for church leaders and members who are fully committed to engage the next generation. World's changing pretty fast. So Tony and I, as I said, are going to be speaking there. Sam Collier, Lee, and Jason. And we're talking about leadership succession, also world-changing women in ministry, digital messaging, community. How do you do that in a disconnected world? Leveraging creativity to elevate impact, kids ministry, adult ministry, and uh, bring your key leaders because you can plan out your next season of ministry. It's the third of three Future Forward conferences. You don't want to miss it. If you head on over right now to futureforwardchurches.com slash the conference, you can register. Tickets are just $79. But if you bring a group, uh, they drop that to $59 per person if you bring five or more. So go to Future Forward Churches and then slash the conference and you'll find everything there. And we will do uh, a lot of this live and dig into a lot of details at the Future Forward Conference. Also, um, the Irresistible Tour is partnering with Orange Tour, and I'm going to be in three cities this fall. I'm so excited to be there. 
Um, the Irresistible Tour is Andy Stanley doing an in-person one-day event to rediscover a faith that is irresistible. Now, Andy is going to be in four different cities, uh, September 12th in Seattle, September 19th in Phoenix, October 17th in Kansas City, and you can also find him October 21st in Austin, and I will be at that stop as well. So you can register at irresistibletour.com and use the code carry 19 carry 19 you get $20 off the regular price. See, it's kind of fun when, uh, when you listen to this podcast, we try to get you all the best deals. And then also, you know, Pro Media Fire has been a partner of this podcast for a while now. Uh, but here's the real question. Does it actually work? So we went into the field and talked to one of their users. This is Tim Schmidt. He is the lead pastor of Journey Church in Rochester, New York. And I sat down with Tim and I asked him this simple question. Where have you seen the most traction online since changing your media approach with Pro Media Fire? I look at it like that. My job is to have uh, is to come up with a message. But what I wasn't good at was... Uh, realizing how to communicate that message in a um, a contemporary means. Uh, so it would be kind of like having an awesome message and putting on a cassette tape. Uh, you, you know, you wouldn't do that because yeah. no matter how, how good the message is, the, the mechanism to communicate it um, causes it to be lost. And I did not realize how much I didn't know about what's happening in, uh, you know, current trends and current technology and current, you know, cur current culture that you you need people who are on top of that, who know how to not, you know, the message is yours, but know how to take that message and, and uh, package it or communicate it in a way that people will actually listen to it. Well, if that would help you as well, you can get custom graphic design and video from ProMedia Fire. You get 10% off your plans for life if you go to ProMediaFire.com forward slash carry. That's ProMediaFire.com forward slash carry. And uh, well, you can see the same kind of results Tim and many, many other leaders have. Well, without further ado, let's jump into my, uh, I find very powerful and at times very emotional and real conversation with Amplified Church's founder, Lee Kreitcher, and the successor and new lead pastor, Jason Howard. Well, Lee and Jason, welcome to the podcast. Here we are at Amplified Church with the founding pastor of Amplified, Lee Kreitcher, and the new lead pastor, Jason Howard. Glad you guys are with us. Thanks so much, Carrie. Yeah. It's such an honor to be on here. It's amazing. Definitely honored to be with you. Yeah. Well, it's great to have you back, Lee. It's great to have you for the first time, Jason. Thanks, man. And I got to tell you, one of the reasons I was excited about having this conversation is I think this is one of the conversations we need to have in the church over the next decade. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm pretty comfortable saying that succession is a crisis. Yeah. Uh, it's a crisis in the church. It's a crisis, I think, in a lot of businesses. We were talking at lunch today about, I don't know whether I pulled this figure out of the air, but something like 90% of first-generation businesses die with the founder. Yeah. You know, we interviewed uh, Mark Soreo for this podcast, owner of Oakmont Bakery, that would, he's got a succession plan in place, but that'd be a classic example of a wildly successful business that just one day slumps, closes its doors, and it's like, oh, remember when the Oakmont Bakery used to be the thing? And, and that's what's happening in the church today yeah. is people in your situation, Jason, are having to wait a long time to take over, and then they don't get a, 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 a healthy church. They right. get a thriving, dying church or there's conflict or gong show stories from behind the scenes. And you guys are how many weeks now on the other side of succession? I think six. 
Six. Yeah, just about six weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, I know this sounds probably a little bit early to leave any long-term you know, conclusions, but I'm three and a half years, almost four years on the other side of our succession. And I just thought it would be a great opportunity for us to sit down and talk about what led up to that succession, um, how it went, how it felt, sure. and what you guys are thinking about as we... Um, as we're in this moment right mm-hmm. now. So uh, I'd love to start with a thumbnail of both of your backgrounds in ministry. So just just quickly, like, uh, why don't we start with you, Jason? Yeah, sure. So um, I grew up going to church. Uh, my parents always took me there. But I think that when I was in high school, I was at youth group because I was forced to be there by my dad. So I was right. not there by choice. I was there by right. force. And, um, you know, Worship was happening at church mm-hmm. and I sensed the presence of God and I could not deny that I sensed something that was real and that was powerful, that was love. And, you know, to be honest, I don't really remember any messages that I heard being preached growing up in church. Or so in disappointing to all of us. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't. And you do now And I'm too. a preacher, so, yeah, you know. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but, but I don't remember anything. Yeah, exactly. But... I will never be able to forget the sense of God's presence. Mm. And so I think I was around 15, maybe 16 years old. And I mean, it just captured my heart. I mean, it just stole me. And from that moment forward, I was all in. And well, you're a worshiper, right? You're, are you yeah, a musician? Yeah. I, I mean, I was a, as a, as a kid, I, I did music and, and was a musician. And so I kind of had this encounter with God during worship. And not long after that, my youth pastor said, Hey, you, you know, sing and play, you know, instruments. And I was like, yeah, yeah. He was like, why don't you start leading worship like next week? <laughs> and mm. I had no clue what I was doing. Right, and right. It was terrible, you know? Um, but he put me in charge of the, the worship team, like as a 16 year old. And then I knew that that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So mm. ended up going to Bible college at Hillsong. Now this was before Hillsong kind of had the profile that it has today. Right. But they you were- went to Australia. I went to Australia. Yeah, but they were really, I, even back then I, I realized that they were like really equipping people to lead church and- Obviously, with what they were doing with worship and creative arts, they were just, they were in, in territory that no one was, was in. And so it was in the late 90s that I went out there. And um, not long after being back from Australia, I, I was just serving in a local church. Um, I came back home. I started serving in a local church. Um, had really learned at Hillsong that the name of the game is serve and be faithful. And so I was doing that. And that's when Lee called me up and had this great endeavor in front of him to revitalize the church that had really gone downhill. And this church, is in the early 2000s, early 2000s, mid-2000s? Yeah, 2003, he called me. And um, the, the church was in really bad shape. He had founded it, but left many years earlier and things had, had slid downhill. And he called me and he said, hey, it's possible I might be coming back, taking over this church, but it's on life support and we've got to shock it back into life. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like that sounds like a terrible idea. You know, like it's going to be really hard, <laughs> really, really hard. But he, he said that his vision was to create a church where people who weren't going to church would find Jesus. Mm. And I didn't see any examples of that in Pittsburgh, which is where I'm from at the time. Yeah. Um, not that I knew of. And I thought the one thing that I want to spend my life doing is introducing people to Jesus. And so if we're going to create a place where people who don't know Jesus are going to find Jesus, I'm all in on that. And so I bought in and that was in 2003. And Lee put me in charge of a lot of different things over the years. So I where did. did you start? What was your entry? Youth, youth pastor, which was funny because I went to school for worship leadership and 
Lee said, you should never expect to lead worship at this church (laughs) (laughs) because he was going to be the worship leader and he had a really specific vision for music and for worship. And so he was going to lead worship. And he said, but I need someone to lead youth. And I'm thinking, I don't preach. I don't know how to lead youth. I know how to sing, but I learned to be faithful and whatever doors your leaders encourage you to go through. I was like, I'm going to do it out of respect for Lee's leadership in my life. So I started at youth. And now you're running the whole thing. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> All right, Lee, a little bit of the thumbnail. I know you've been um, on the show before, but just give us the the nutshell because it's very rare that a founder starts something, leaves, and then comes back. Yeah, I, had, I came to Christ at a similar time in my life as Jason did and actually founded the church in which we're sitting for this interview. Yeah. And um, it started as a home Bible study. And... Uh, Served there for about 15 years as the founding pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, had a very difficult time at home uh, with my marriage, which yeah. God has healed, thankfully. And yeah. we've been married for almost 45 years now. But at the time, had to leave the ministry. And at that time, I entered into the world of human resources and particularly leadership development and ended up working for two of the great consulting firms in the world that re- that focus on change leadership and executive mm-hmm. coaching. So learned a lot about change leadership, learned a lot about succession. And so when in 2003, uh, my wife and I, while we were in Atlanta, we were attending Andy Stanley's church, North yeah. Point, And we got a call, would you consider coming back to this church that you founded? Um, and while I initially said no, I felt that it was something that God was tapping me on the shoulder to do. And so that's when I came back and I called Jason and said, hey, let's go change the world together. And um, we were able to do that. But clearly I went into it with uh, a a keen eye on change leadership and a keen eye on succession. Hmm. Yeah. And that was, so the church had shrunk down to, it was about a thousand when you left. Is that right? Yes, it was right about a thousand. And And you left in uh, 1990. And then you come and back 13 so, years later in 2003, it's down to... Down to about 150 people. Wow. But far more alarming than just the declining attendance was the escalating age. Mm. So the average age of the church was well over 50, um, almost 20 years older than the average age of the surrounding community we were called to serve. So we had to dramatically start to uh, reach young adults and young people if we were going to be a multi-generational church. Yeah. And today, when you handed it off, Amplify is how many people? Yeah, we've grown to about 2,000 people and the average age being um, just about exactly 35, which would be the average age of the community we serve in and around Pittsburgh. And you have two locations, Yeah, right? two locations. Uh, Jason led the city campus, which has been the fastest growing location. And it was a great place for him to kind of prove his mettle as a leader. Now, when did you start, because succession is kind of, I think, one of the big issues in the next decade. You said you came back with succession in mind. So 150 people, like who wants a church of 150 people that's in decline, you know, and probably closed in a month. But you knew if this was going to be successful, that that was something you'd have to think about. So talk to us about that. Well, I knew that um, first... I didn't expect the church to stay in the situation it was in. <laughs> right, so yeah, I, you, you anticipated growth. Um, I, I did expect that we were going to make a difference in our city. But I also knew, like I had talked to one pastor at one point who had said, um, 
my job is to serve in my church until I die. And then it's God's problem after that. And that was his philosophy. That was his philosophy. And this was a non-denominational church like I wish, ours. I wish I could say I hadn't heard that before, but well, I've heard that before. And it's for a non-denominational church, particularly, um, I, I just feel that that's irresponsible. So you're saying I'll serve God in my time and then whatever happens after that, too bad. doesn't matter. Now you can't guarantee what will happen after you're gone, but right. you can sure do like David did for Solomon. He, he didn't build the temple, but he set him up for success in every possible way. Yeah. And so in those early days, uh, first we changed our bylaws because our bylaws called for a congregational vote every time there's a change of pastor. And in our non-denominational church, every time there's a change of pastor, it was a complete earthquake. Hmm. And those who voted no felt compelled that since God didn't lead them to vote for this person, that person probably shouldn't be there. So, right. so many of them left. And um, so we just changed our bylaws to say it's the senior pastor's responsibility to name at first an emergency successor. Um, and at age 50, that's way not too early to name an emergency successor. I don't think it's too early even at Jason's age. Sorry, an emergent successor or emergency successor? Emergency. Emergency. So, so you're in saying, other words, if you had a health problem or your yes. plane doesn't land or whatever. Exactly. And then, we have to have that at all times now, according to our bylaws. Yeah. So oh, there's okay. still an emergency successor. So, so even now that mm -hmm. you, yep. and how old are you, Jason? Um, 38. 38. So okay. at 38, you've got an emergency successor. Yep. Wow. And then as time goes on, that person could change, but it's just something that the board completely approves. But at the moment of the change, that person automatically steps in. And right. so my responsibility is to name the successor, but then also prepare that person. So that person has the DNA of the church, the heart of the church, the people know them. And, you know, at, at the moment, whether it's planned or, uh, you know, unplanned, that person steps right in. Right. Jason, I'd love your take on this. When did it first occur to you? Was that on hiring that you might be the successor one day or when, no, when did that No, not at all. Happen? I mean, I didn't see myself as a preacher. I did not see myself right. as, a, as a senior pastor, of course. And I mean, like I didn't even have context. Like to me back then, right. a senior pastor was some like old guy. Like, I, I, <laughs> you know, like there wasn't even a context today where you see a lot of younger guys leading churches. And so I, I was not at all interested in that. And so it was not long. I think, I think maybe it was um, two or three years into it that Lee said, hey, I'm going to name a successor and um, the board is going to have to approve it. And I want to name you as my planned successor. Right. And I thought, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like that was my first reaction. Like I, I don't, I don't see myself And you're how old that. at this point? 30? Well, I, no, I was 20, not even 25 probably. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and so... I'm like, I, I want to sing. Like, I, like, I want to lead worship. I want to do creative stuff. Like, I, I don't see myself in that, in that role. And, but again, you know, I had been taught something and I, I really want to, want to blame Hillsong for this, but I had been taught there that, that, you know, we are servants and we are here to faithfully serve. And so I was in a crisis because here is the, my leader who I'm called to serve who is asking me to step into something that I'm not comfortable stepping into and I've got a crisis. Am I going to listen to what I want to do or am I going to listen mm. to the voice of I'm going to faithfully serve in whatever capacity I'm asked? And honestly, um, you know, we, Lee, we had this conversation and finally, and, and I don't know, a few months later, Lee's like, listen, I got a board meeting. I'm going to propose you as the successor 
I'd sure like to know whether or not you're in you're in line with this. Wow. And and I said, well, yeah, you you can you can propose me as a successor to the board, which I mean, there wasn't really a question that the board would, would approve it, but it, it was like, yeah, you can. But the reason why I'm saying yes is because I believe that I'm here first to serve. Hmm. Lee, what did you see in Jason? Well, first I need to correct something Jason said a little earlier that <laughs> I didn't let him sing. He was a worship leader. Oh yeah, I was singing every week, but I was, I, was singing, yeah. I called him the assistant worship director. I felt like I needed to make sure we had a worship service that was an elevating experience for people who were Christ followers, but also was a very safe experience, or at least a wondrous experience for people who weren't Christ followers. And so I wanted to make sure to kind of create a mode of worship here that was unlike what, you know, we were used to. Um, but he was singing pretty regularly. Hmm. And so when he finally got the title of worship director, then I said, okay, it's time for you to speak. Yeah. Um, and he said, I'm not going to speak. And I said, well, here's your first date that you're going to have a weekend message. And so I just saw in him that God had put leadership strengths mm -hmm. in him and leadership gifts in him that uh, needed to be pulled out and encouraged. And I am a big believer in raising up the next generation and tapping people on the shoulder even before they seem to be ready and giving them opportunities to grow. That's one reason our church... Um, that, that the average age came down because we gave a lot of young leaders opportunities yeah. to do things that they didn't see themselves doing. And you write about that in your book for the next generation, yeah, for the next generation. where you talk about dropping the age of the people on the platform and, and putting people in before they're ready. So did you in your mind have like a 15 year development process or how did that work? I probably had a range of time because I felt like, I think we all are on assignment from God to some degree. And I felt like I had this assignment from God to turn the church around and hand it off to the next generation. Right. And, uh, but I didn't have a sense of what that timing would be. And so oh, I started back at age 50 and I probably was thinking about age somewhere between 63 and 67, you know, somewhere around there. But 67 was where I landed on and yeah. that's kind of a part of our story, why I'm about to turn 65 and Jason's already senior pastor. <laughs> <laughs> so you went a little early. You went a little early. Yeah. Um, you two, I think what's really interesting to me is succession really is happening on two different um, tiers. So one is leader to leader. In other words, the next generation has to take over in the senior pastor role, senior leader role. And again, this is an issue in business, but it's also model. And, you know, in many ways, Lee, the church you started in 1976? Um, 70, summer 76, 76 was the first Bible study. Yeah. Yeah. So in 1976 was a, a different model than when you came back in 2003 and you transitioned to more of an attractional church in the North Point model. Um, but that's not your style, really. No, you, not really. You, and so you have been, over the last few years, I think even transitioning the model of church and the approach to church. Do you want to talk about the difference in styles? Because this, it's almost, I would think of it as a double succession. Mm. It's a renewal of the model or changeover in the model and a changeover in the leader, which is really difficult to negotiate at the same time. 
Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, so one of the things that Lee did, obviously we, we said, all right, we're going to do this succession. Um, we solidified it, the board approved it. And, and, and it was an ambiguous sort of timeline. But one of the things that Lee did as the years went on is he started really releasing me to make a lot more decisions. And right. he gave me a lot more authority. And while, you know, it wasn't until six weeks ago that we actually did the formal title change. Yeah. In, in the ramp up, he, he and, and this is incredibly gracious on his hand, but gave me an incredible amount of influence and authority. And that kept growing year after year after year. And the truth is that I guess, I guess like for me personally, I have a hard time with the concept of model in general. Okay. I think that model basically says, okay, here's this machine. If you build it this way, you'll get this result. And, and there's a lot of good things to learn from that. And there are systems that are effective and we should always be open to learning from that. But I think that for me, it, it was really hard for me to say, okay, I'm going to take a model and I'm just going to implement a model because I felt like there was a specific grace on my life and on the people's lives who were on this journey with me that we were called and gifted and graced to do certain things because God had given us the ability to do those things. And then it was important for us to play to those strengths. Um, I also think that sometimes if somebody comes to church and it feels like, oh, they're doing it this way because they're supposed to do it this way, right. it, can, it can reek of inauthenticity. Yeah. You know, oh, well, I'm preaching this way because Andy preaches this way or I'm doing this system because someone else told me to do the system. And I think that, that that's not a winning strategy to reach the next generation. I think that what is a winning strategy is to say, all right, I'm gonna lean into the things that God's called me to do. Um, I'm going to be who God's called me to be and we're going to be who God's called us to be. And at the heart of it all, we're going to care about people meeting Jesus. Yeah. And, and at the heart of it all, we're going to make sure that we're loving people well and we're connecting people with Jesus well. And we're going to do that the best way that we have the ability to do it. And, and so, so I guess it was a little bit of a different thinking. And maybe that's a generational change, right? Maybe that's a millennial thing. I, I don't really know. But I think that, um, you know, Lee instituted some really great systems in 2003 that really helped us to turn the ship around. But I think that if we were going to stay relevant to reaching the next generations to come, we had to, you know, we had to not be tied to the model. We had to think, hey, what's it going to take for us to be great at what we do and introduce as many people as we possibly can to Jesus? And how are we going to create an environment where people can come and meet Jesus? And so, so everything is always up for negotiation and for consideration. Yeah, and I appreciate what you're saying about the model, but I think what I'm driving at is your styles are very different. Yeah, The way sure. that you approach church yeah. is not like, oh yeah, I'm just running the same play yeah, that, and I think, that you are. And I, I think that that's kind of to the point is that Lee is and has been graced to do things a very specific way. God has given him personality and talent and giftings and a way to communicate and a way to lead. And I've been graced differently. You know, I've been given a different personality with a different way of communicating, a different way of seeing things and a different way of interacting with people. And the greatest thing that we could do is make sure that Lee was free to do what he was called to do and make sure that Jason was free to do what he was but called to do. what's fascinating to me in this, and yeah. this is one of the reasons I was really excited to have the conversation, is normally what would happen is that the leadership change would happen mm -hmm. and then the model style approach yeah. would happen after. In other words, this is the way Lee did it. Yeah, Jason's the new leader. So worship is going to get, I mean, I remember one meeting we had here because we've known each other Yeah. and Lee was leading here at the Pittsburgh East location. You were leading the uh, city, city church downtown 
And I remember one of the conversations we had in the green room, if I can say this, yeah, yeah. Uh, is no jumping. I mean, you, you can have a lot of things at Pittsburgh East, but no one, no worship leader is allowed to jump on stage. <laughs> uh, you know, and that, that just refers to the style of music that you guys had down yeah. on the city campus. But it was a real, it was a style clash yeah. and it, not clash, but just it was different. One of these yeah. things is not like the other. And that was happening for how many years before the leadership transition happened? Probably five. Yeah, yeah. and, and there, we had a couple of turning points. One was when Jason, I turned him loose or he was turned loose to do the city campus, but the assignment was do it exactly like the Pittsburgh East campus. Right, and so, so that, was, that was your initial plan. Yeah, that was my initial plan that he should not just adopt the leadership that I was gracing him with, but he should also adopt my style, of course. Yeah, of course. I'm an Why awesome not? leader. Yeah, the best, yeah, the and, best um, style ever, right? And I'm a conversational Andy Stanley <laughs> preacher and or a teacher, and he's more of a Louis Giglio, um, Judah Smith type preacher, something, you know, however you would think about it. Mm -hmm. um, and so the a, a couple of sticking points we had is I said, nobody will walk into any of our campuses and see people jumping, and I don't <laughs> want any talk back. Those were our two right. things. So no, no, no amens, shout outs no the front talk row. Back. No so amens. If somebody no says like, amen, yeah. you tap them on the shoulder, you know. And uh, um, part of that, with your hands part in the pocket, me, please. I could pass out $20 bills and you wouldn't hear an amen in the service <laughs> <laughs> because it's just not, I don't evoke it for whatever reason. Um, and Jason does by just reading a passage, you know. Uh -huh. And so, but at any rate, at that point, I had to say, okay, is he, it's kind of like Saul saying to David, here's the armor you're supposed to wear. Mm -hmm. And I said, am I going to demand that he, that he take on my style? Or is it possible that God has raised up a leader for the future of our church who's a very different style than me, even though he has the same heart, the same passion for our vision, the same uh, desire to reach people far from God. It's, and, and I turned him loose. I said, okay, in a city campus, do, you, do what you believe God has called you to do. And that campus began to grow pretty, wow. pretty dramatically. And, and that really made me pause and say, good, okay, well, when this transition to him as senior pastor across the whole church takes place, then we're talking about a leadership style change. And my philosophy, uh, and we can talk about our tense moments when mm -hmm. we decided that what timing it would be. But once we decide on the time, that last year and a half to two years before the handoff, I just said, Jason, let's talk about everything you believe the church should be and let me initiate the changes with my um, trust level in the organization um, so, it's, so you don't have to come in and start from scratch. How did you get to that place? I mean, what's interesting to me, Lee, is I'm, I'm not sure every leader in your shoes would have given Jason the amount of latitude that you gave him. It would be like, no, this is the mission. This is the strategy. These are the values. You run the playbook. And if you want to change it after I'm gone, that's, that's great. How did you develop like, how did, you, how did you come to that place? Because that's an intellectual journey. I'm sure it's a spiritual journey, but it's also an emotional journey where you just kind of let go and go, I'm not going to control this guy. 
Well, I think I've talked to friends who named a successor and they had an assessment center with multiple people who were a part of it and they kind of chose between the person who rose among the others. And in this case, I just had this conviction that Jason was the guy. Mm. And so then it, it, it didn't start to say, if Jason's the guy, then he's going to do X, Y, and Z. It was more a question of, since Jason is the guy, what do we need to do to get him and the congregation ready for this amazing future? Mm. That's going to look different than it would under me. Jason, did you ever worry that you were being disloyal? Yeah, a lot. And I think that um, there were a few times throughout the journey where I had a real, real, real crisis because I felt strongly that I needed to make a shift or make a change. And I was very concerned about how willing Lee would be to go along with that. And I really wrestled like, I, I'm here to serve. I'm not here to demand my right or demand my way. I'm here to be faithful. I'm here to, um, you know, honor. And so how do I have these conversations where I feel like, Lee, we need to be doing X, Y, and Z. Um, how do I have that conversation and not be disloyal? But I think that, I think that for me, I really had to start to have some faith that if God had graced me to lead this church, that he would have given me the insight to lead it well. And so while we were in this season of, you know, Lee's still the senior pastor, he's raising me up. Um, while we're in this season, I can't shy away from the things that I believe are right. And I have to embrace the fact that, you know, God's called me to do this. And, and the reality is that Lee is going to see things a certain way because of the, um, because of the generation that he's from and the history that he's from. And I'm going to see things differently because I'm a different generation. And actually, I think one of the best things that we can do is let the generations come together and hash some of this stuff out. So for me to be able to have a conversation with Lee and, and to say, Lee, like you, you can't tie our hands behind our back when it comes to worship. Like I can't put a rule on these worship leaders to say, your, your feet must not leave the ground. Like, <laughs> you know, like, I, like we can't have that rule, right? We're just going to inhibit the whole thing. And to have that conversation sometimes was really hard. I was really scared to have those conversations. Sometimes Lee wasn't super thrilled that I initiated these conversations. Mm -hmm. But I think at the end of the day, the thing that kept everything working was that Lee has had an incredible amount of um, respect for me. And, and I, I pray that over the years that I've shown that I had that respect back to him. And so while we might have disagreements about whether or not we're jumping, about whether or not we're saying amen, or about whether or not we're, you know, whatever. Well, we might have some disagreements about that. The thing that reigns supreme is that we're going to respect each other and love each other through the process. And that's why we were always able to come to, you know, to, to terms with how we were going to make decisions and how we were going to move forward. The other thing that I'd just like to add to that though, is that while me and Lee had some disagreements behind the scenes about how to do things and what right. decisions to make, we made a decision a long time ago. I mean, probably right after you know, he named me as the successor. We made a decision a long time ago that we would always present a united front to the staff, to any member of Amplified Church, to everyone. We would always present a united front. And if there was issues that he and I were working out, people did not know. Hmm. How did you have those conversations? How did you, when, you know, you realized that you were going in a more charismatic expression with... Yeah. 
um, more exuberant worship, uh, preaching over teaching, mm-hmm. um, that whole sort of generational shift that yeah. seems to be happening more yeah. widely. Yeah. I mean, one easy route would have been just to do it and hope nobody noticed and you <laughs> didn't get fired. Right. But you That's were having disloyal. these. Yeah. That is, that is another form of disloyalty. Yeah. So how did you have those? Did you seek permission? Did you seek forgiveness? What, what did that look like? We had a pretty regular uh, schedule of getting together. And especially if there was an issue that I had with Jason or he had with me, we made it a habit to not sit on it for a week or two, but we would get together. And we had uh, what I would call intense fellowship. (laughs) (laughs) Often at Oakmont Bakery. Yeah, (laughs) at Oakmont Bakery. And um, (laughs) over lunch and we would talk through things and... um, you know, I always had in mind, Jason is somebody who God is raising up as a key leader. So I have to be listening here. And we had one particular time, it was a Christmas service where I went to the Christmas service at the city campus and we were going to do the same service at the Pittsburgh East campus. And I gave feedback to Jason about here's all the things that need to change. And it was to me, it was just, you know, putting a list together. To Jason, it was something that he took very personally. Hmm. And um, uh, it was kind of perhaps questioning his his leadership. And it really was not intended that way. But it was intense enough that uh, it was at that time that I said, okay, we're going to get a couple coaches in here. Yeah. And we got uh, Vanderbloom and yeah. Warren Bird. Uh, who William Vanderbloom and and Warren Warren Bird. And and between them, they had written, together they had written the book Next about succession. And I said, let's get two of the great thinkers about this and really work through what this transition is supposed to look like or could look like. And I think that was the spark for it. Yeah, I mean, and so like, you know, for Lee to say, here are the things I didn't like about the Christmas service, it obviously always had the right to do that. Um, I guess for me, it felt like an indictment on where I was taking the church. Right. And it felt like, you don't really like where I'm going. And and I think that that's, that tension is going to exist because mm-hmm. he's not going to see things um, from the same perspective that I'm going to. But right. that's why you have to do generational transition. Um, but yeah, it was also sort of personal because... I felt like, oh my gosh, like, does that mean he doesn't believe in me? Because it seems like he doesn't believe in where I'm taking things. And if he doesn't really believe in where I see things going over the next few years, probably not a good idea to, you know, spend (laughs) the next couple of years trying to do that. Yeah, exactly. Um, But again, I think that because there was always mutual respect for each other, we were able to work through some of that stuff. And yeah, bringing in some people to help was good. um, And it provoked some conversations that were necessary. Yeah, so you reached out to William and to Warren. Uh, how did having a third party help? Well, Tim Stevens from, uh, is who we started with, who is yeah. um, one of the coaches from Vanderblumen. And he came in, he's gone through a lot of transitions and had some good insights. He interviewed our board of directors. He interviewed our staff. He visited both of our campuses. He spent time with um, my wife, Linda, and I, with Jason and his wife, AJ. Yeah. And um, he, he ended up um, in dialogue and with a report that said, you guys are in, a good, in good shape as a church to be able to change. You've learned mm. to change. Um, and Jason is ready as a leader. 
And kind of the bottom line of his report is you may want to consider moving up your succession plan because if you want to, you can't, you could do it. Right. So you had had, when did this report come in? A couple of years before you? It had been a couple of years ago. Two and a half years yeah. ago. So and rather than four or five years down the road, they're like two or three years down the yeah, road. Yeah. So we would have said the spring of 2021 is what I had in my mind compared to the spring of 2019. And so um, that was our biggest, uh, um, we, we had a, a month of conflict and I call it the dinner. The dinner. <laughs> my wife and I took out Jason and AJ uh, for dinner. And at that dinner, I wanted to understand why his response to the Vanderbloom in report, which said you could move it up if you wanted to, why his response wasn't, we shouldn't move this up. I need you to stay in your role, Pastor Lee. Instead, he said, sounds good to me. <laughs> and I needed to know, what do you want? More money, more power, more influence, more what? And really, he was just ready to spread his wings. Yeah. And, um, but I wasn't ready to, you know, set a date at that time. And so we had a pretty intense time. I don't know if Jason will ever go back to that particular restaurant. Probably not. <laughs> it was pretty ugly. What, what happened? Well, like I think to the, the the extent that you can share it. Well, so I think one of the things that that happened is when we originally set the succession, like Lee said, okay, you're going to take over. We we didn't set a very clear timeline. Okay. So he was saying, oh, probably around ten years, um, back then. And so when we had Vanderbilt and come in, it was like year eleven, right. and we ha and and I felt like I can't I can't push Lee on the timeline. I can't be like we need to do. You know, you, you need to tell me. Because I felt like I don't want to be the reason why Lee steps out of ministry before he's supposed to step out. Like it, you like, didn't want to push him out. I didn't feel like it was my right to do that. Yeah. Um. So I was scared to have that conversation. Um. And so, but yet on the inside, I felt a little frustrated because I felt like the church is clearly um going through transition because I've gotten a lot more authority. So things are looking a certain way under Jason's leadership. Um. It's, it's very obvious to the average person who comes to Amplify that there's sort of Jason's way of doing things and then Lee's way of doing things. Um, there wasn't ugliness about that, but, but there was but all But it was this, different. The, the two, yeah, did, the two it was like two different, two different churches. churches. Yeah. And, and there was this ambiguity. And I feel like this isn't good for like the organization. And at the same time, I felt like, you know, this isn't going to be good for our ability to reach people because we don't have a very clear sense of identity around who are we. And so... Vanderbilt and came in and I'm like, I'm not going to talk about the timeline. And, and then I'm like, well, let's just see what the consultants say. So the co consultants come back and they basically say there are two main reasons why successions fail. Mm -hmm. And I think this was really helpful and insightful. And I think they're totally right about it. There are two main reasons. First, the young guy's not going to stick around because he's, he's antsy. He feels right. like he's got a call. He feels like he's got anointing on his life. He wants to go do it. And we've seen that countless times where the younger leaders don't stay in the churches, they go plant another church. Right. Right. Um, so, and the second reason is because the older guy doesn't want to let go. And those are the reasons why it doesn't work. And it's like, yeah, I mean, those are the issues. Those are the main problems. And so they come back with this report. They basically say... The older guy, you mean the anointed senior the, pastor. The anointed senior, the anointed, yeah, that's right. The anointed, the anointed one. <laughs> the crown wearer. And, and so... Exactly. So, yeah, so, so they come back in there and basically they say these are the two main issues that, that would cause this to fail. And um, you're still talking four more years. I was 
surprised to learn through this process that Lee was thinking it was still going to be four years. So I found that out when we had the consultants here. Like, oh, he still wants four more years. I didn't realize that. So then after the report came out, I said, Lee, I think we need to talk about moving the date up. He didn't, he didn't react super well to that. Hmm. What did that feel like when you heard that? Um, I kind of felt like it went from me being 100% in charge of the process to Jason wanting to be a part of the process as opposed to just receiving the handoff at the appropriate time. <laughs> you know what? You, you, was it that you just weren't it, like you were able to call the shot and then it shifted to, well, maybe I can't call the shot. Well, it wasn't so much maybe I can't because even uh, our coach had said, Jason's super loyal. He'll wait as long as you need to from at least everything he okay. could tell. And, yeah. I, and I really felt that that was the case. It, it did just get me to be thinking, you know what? And, and I think one good thing about the outcome was the question was, how excited are you about the next season of your life in ministry? Because that's very often where succession fails, that the mm -hmm. senior pastor feels like they're losing something and they feel like I'm not excited about what's next. So I'm going to hold on as long as I possibly can. Best days and, are behind me, not ahead of me. So yeah. what am I stepping into? So our season of tension was really about a month long. Wow. And then we wrestled through a very clear and detailed timeline. And to be truthful, after that happened almost two years ago, I just was a total peace through huh. this entire timeline. Um, and then I was too. And uh, Jason was too. And I said during that time, you know, just this, let's see what you step into. But also, this is what God's calling me to step into. Yeah. And that's Future Forward Churches, which yeah, yeah. became a, uh, a calling on my life to say, hey, I'm getting all these churches calling and saying, you had one foot in the grave as a church. How do we reach the next generation and engage them more effectively? Yeah. And so we've had two conferences. We'll have our third this fall. Um, so I'm stepping into something that Jason has been completely supportive of. Yeah while I've been completely supportive of him to continue to build this amazing church, which is a key part of my legacy. I'd love to, before we move there, to go back into that month, yeah. because I think there's an awful lot in a month. And for you guys, that was 30 days-ish. But I think for a lot of churches, that's felt like the last five years yeah. or the next decade yeah. where there's all this ambiguity. And as somebody who's gone through it, I think I have a little bit of appreciation leave for maybe some of the emotions that were going. It's a really tough decision to make. Like I went at 50 um, out of the lead role of the church that I started. And I remember there, there was just so much uncertainty and I really felt like it was, there was God definitely at the heart of it and at the mix. And I don't look back for a second on that decision as a mistake, but like you go from that weird place where you do really call all the shots to the point where at a certain point, this is out of your hands and you're not the leader anymore. And what if, and what if, and what about me? So what, can you tell us a little bit more about what you in particular, were, were feeling or thinking during that window? Well, at the time, I was about 63, and I thought I was very young, 63, and now I'm about to turn 65, and I'm a very young 65. So right. I thought, I have so much left in the tank and so much more to give. And um, so why would I let go? 
mm-hmm. you know. And so I think that was a hard thing. And then also to say, okay, Jason, I need specifics. Why is it so important to you to do it at age 38 instead of age 40? You know, right. what's, why is, what, what's this driving passion? And at some point, I think the turning point for me was saying, I don't need to have a specific answer to that because Jason wasn't giving me an answer to that, you know? Right. Um, it wasn't about money. It wasn't about power. It was about what I felt like when I started this church and what I felt like when I came back to revitalize it. God was saying, I use that word, spread your wings mm-hmm. and, and go do something amazing. And that, when I understood that Jason had that same feeling right now, it it got me over the emotional part of what are you thinking about, you know? Right. And it got me to the place to say, okay, what does God call, is, what's God really calling me to do next? I spend the next years, a couple of years getting Jason completely ready and then I'll be ready for my next step. And um, I, I just had a lot of prayer that went into it, but it's funny, I just came to a place of peace. Jason, I'd love to unpack what you were thinking or feeling because I talked to a lot of young leaders too. It's not easy being in your seat, waiting, watching to see what Lee's going to do. Yeah. Uh, Your, your future's kind of hanging in the balance. So what, what are you feeling in that moment? Yeah. I mean, I think that for me, waiting was something that I had decided that I was going to do many years early. I mean, we are sort of 11 years into it at this point. Mm -hmm. And you know, I had made a decision many years earlier that while I might personally want to lead a church, the best thing that I, because I, I eventually got there, you know, like, like I, not at first, but I eventually got to the place where I was like, yeah, God's called me to do this, yeah. right? So um, I, I had made a decision somewhere, somewhere in there that it was going to be better for the church as a whole if we stayed together in this. You know, in other words, if I'm called to lead a church, I could go off and decide to go start a church, right? Like I could, I could go do that, but it will be better for the kingdom overall if I stay with Lee over this journey, because then the church will be able to grow from strength to strength. And so when we got to this place of, oh my gosh, it's four more years. I don't know if I can hang on. I think that I really had to wrestle through. Why do I feel like it has to be sooner than that? Mm. And at the same time, I'm like, we could do it right now. Like, like I, I'm ready to go right now, you know? So even waiting two more years was still sort of like a, like in a sense, a compromise. It was us coming to an agreement on that. But I, f- I felt like, I felt like it was really hard for me to understand why I felt like it, we couldn't wait that long. But at the same time, I do believe that it came down to this sense of there's a bit of ambiguity in the church. There's a bit of um, a lack of momentum because we, we clearly... You have empowered me with so much leadership that I've made a lot of decisions that have started to really morph the church in a different direction. And I felt like we were kind of in this gray zone. And I just thought, I I thought it's not great for the church to stay in this gray zone for that long. Um, At the same time, I feel like there are mountains that need to be conquered and there's new territory that we need to take. And there are new campuses that we need to start. And it's not in Lee's heart to do that. It's in my heart to do that. But the reason why it's in my heart to do that is because God graced me for the next season. And so I'm like, we got to get on with it. Like there, there are too, too many people who don't know Jesus. We got to get on with it. I imagine that the sense of time, I'm just listening to you guys. If 
You already owned your brain, Jason, and your brain, Lee, in that window where nothing was certain. Am I going to go in four years, two years? Everything probably felt amplified. It probably, pardon the pun. <laughs> Man, sorry. Um, didn't, didn't mean that. But Lee, to you, it probably felt like this is going to fly by. Like I'm, I'm going to be out of here before I blink. And to you, it, two years might have felt like 20, you know? Well, four years definitely would have felt like 20. Yeah. Well, and I guess yeah. I wasn't even counting it four years. I was more counting it 15 years. Yeah. It's like you're asking, yeah. you're asking me to serve for 15 years, which is a really, really long time. I, I have served for 11, um, <laughs> you know, and, and, that, and it's like, I've got to live my life. Like I've got to do what I'm called to do. Yeah. That's kind of how I felt. And there's a lot of next gen leaders who are in that zone yeah. right now that feel like they've been waiting forever. And there's some church planters who are like, yep. yeah, I was going to be the successor, but I wasn't going to stick around forever. So that's interesting. Yeah, and I think for the senior leaders who are thinking about it right now, I mean, I just heard the other day about a 75-year-old who the board approached him about successor, and he said, no, I don't want to even talk about it. And they... That's and, 75. And the board let him go, and then he went down the street and started a new church and took half the people away. And to have that kind of ending, you know, we had... We were talking a little earlier, Jason and the staff had a night of gratitude for me and my wife after mm -hmm. years of ministry. And how many pastors ever get to that? Yeah. Because, but how many pastors wish they would have left two years earlier or a year earlier and, and avoided some kind of implosion or to the place where they were asked to leave? And right. so to me, and especially being a big believer in next generation leadership, I, I got to the place of, accelerating the timetable from what I had initially thought. And I'm really glad we did. Not trying to pick it a scab, but to the okay. extent you can talk about that dinner, mm. what happened at that dinner? Because it is, right? You're, you're sitting in that moment, yeah. whether it's in a dinner, an office, wherever it happens to be, where you're like, okay, I got to say some things here. And it was, well, is it going to be four years or two years? Because that is the awkward conversation. Boards, yeah. senior leadership teams, staff don't want to have. Well, and it wasn't even two years at that point. Okay, it was, sure. is it going to be four years? Right. Is it going to be four years? Is it going to be four? Right. Because I'm saying it can't be. It was right. kind of like a year and a half or three and a half at that point. But Yeah. But you know. you, it's like, is and it going to be longer or and shorter? And the dinner was probably the third conversation. Like Lee and I had had the conversation privately. Yeah. And a couple times, I think already, it didn't go so well. And um, the one conversation, the vice president of our board was in the conversation as well. So it was the three of us. And then it was like, all right, well, let's just go to dinner. We'll hammer this thing out. <laughs> and, um, because, Were your spouses there? Yeah, it yeah. was the oh, four of wow. us at a, at a pretty nice restaurant. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. Okay. I think I, no, that, was, that was emotional. That was, uh, I was uh, more emotional than I typically am. And of course, our poor wives are there saying, what is this about they're watching the grenade go off right yes and i think I jason's think, under fire i'm saying well then why is it this is it this is it this and he was just being i either respectfully quiet or something else <laughs> lee was really really angry um because i think he felt maybe i was i, I don't I, I can't speak for how he felt i, I know he was really angry and I, I had feelings of anger. I wouldn't say I was angry. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, not that's not, a good distinction, not sure the difference. Yeah. On the receiving end, there's no difference. But um, 
I think that for me, it was really hard. How do I articulate what I'm feeling? Mm. And how do I articulate what I'm feeling in a way that's not somehow dishonoring or disloyal? Because maybe this whole thing is dishonoring. I don't even know. And mm. I don't want to set that precedent for my ministry that it started out of a place of dishonor. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that it, I didn't really know what to say. I, I didn't really know how to articulate what I was feeling. Lee was clearly angry. He was clearly upset. And I think that it, it was not a productive conversation because I didn't really know how to say what I need, needed to say. And I think that Lee definitely was jumping to some conclusions about what my motivation was behind not wanting the timeline to be so long. And so it, it just wasn't produ productive. <laughs> uh, I would say for the young guy to be able to say, to try to answer that as much as you can, because in the absence of an explanation, we tend to put in one. And, you know, Andy Stanley always says, choose trust over suspicion. And but that, it gets hard sometimes. That particular night, I was choosing suspicion over trust. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, actually, I got over it pretty quickly because that was a catalyst to say, okay, when I, typically in my life, when I react that strongly, it's because God is speaking to me. And I need to really listen. And so pretty quickly, we got through that. And then put a timetable together and made sure to get our wives out for a nice, peaceful, wonderful dinner. <laughs> We've had many great dinners. We've had many, many since then yeah. without drama. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, it's, would you say you had mixed emotions around that time? That would be an understatement of yeah, the year. Yeah, okay, fair enough. You know? But I want to get into the head of those of us who started things because um, there's a lot of founders listening right now. Yeah. Well, this, and I, I think back on my own emotions, extremely mixed, extremely mixed. Yeah, these are, this is a church that I gave my life for. I rearranged my life to come, come back to get it to the place where it is. And so don't push. Yeah, that was kind of my feeling. You don't have the right to push. But really it wasn't pushing. It was just saying, we've always talked to each other about how we feel and I'm telling you. And it was one of those moments where I said, actually, I really don't want to know how you feel at this point. <laughs> um, and uh, so I think that there was this feeling of, uh, whether it be loss of power, loss of authority, a feeling of being disrespected, you can, you can label it a whole lot of things, but it was an emotion that uh, I had to work through because it wasn't healthy. And I've seen people take that emotion and say, get out of here. And then all of a sudden they're left standing with nobody to, to hand off to. Or um, they swallow it up and they end up with a bitter ending. And um, so it's one of those things that when you go through issues, uh, there are times in life you just have to hear from God and get his peace about something. And I did. And I had to. And I think one of the most you know, I think maybe it might've been the next morning he called and I was very scared when I saw his, <laughs> his number pop up. On the phone yeah, I was like, oh my like, God, oh, I, was like, oh, I don't think I, I want to answer this. this. <laughs> but it was like, I can't not. <laughs> um, may, maybe the next day, maybe a few days later, I don't remember, but at some point he basically said to me that he made the decision to say, maybe God is saying something through Jason. And... I think that was a big turning point. And my wife Linda on the way home that night said, 
you owe Jason an apology, but you especially owe his wife, AJ, an apology to make her sit there through that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you got texted apologies that night. Well, I think we, yeah, I think yeah, we got texted yeah, apologies yeah. that night. Yes. But yeah. as far as moving on the issue, I think that that, that was, that was a big deal. And so I think that it's, it's very, very difficult to think, is God saying something to me from Lee? And for Lee to say, is God maybe saying something to me through Jason? It's really hard. But I think that if you don't have that willingness to work with each other, probably succession is not going to work out. Yeah, and I think if, um, if you have a leader who isn't ready after this amount of time to step in and can't honestly tell you, maybe that's not supposed to be your successor anyway. Because a, a healthy, strong congregation needs a healthy, strong leader. I'm so glad you guys have talked about that moment because I think that is one of the issues. And it takes me back, like I've got sort of a two-phase succession thing. One was stepping out of the lead role, which was, you know, a summer prayer for me in 2015. And as much as my emotions were mixed, it, uh, it was like, yeah, this is the right thing to do. And it, I don't want to say it wasn't that hard, but it wasn't that hard. But what's interesting is I'm still carrying the weight of the teaching load. Mm -hmm. And so more recent, and I said I was going to do that for three to five years. Well, now we're in that time frame. And so about a year ago, I had a conversation with my successor, Jeff, about that. And, you know, I was in, I always find I get into mixed emotions at times where I'm not exactly sure. And I'm a verbal processor. So I'm like, I want to do this. I don't want to do this. I want to do this. I don't want to do this. And it's like, all right, I hear mixed things coming out of my mouth. So did the other people around me. And I remember we had um, a couple of meetings where it was, well, if you really want to release some of this communication burden, that means we're probably going to have to do a search. And there was part of me that as soon as that was out of someone else's mouth was like, well, no, I'm going to hang. But then I felt all that ambivalence inside. And so we had a couple of meetings about that. And then I eventually had to get to the stage and it was a little bit difficult. And I think there might have been some tears on my part. And then I'm like, well, of course that's right. That's exactly what we have to do. You know, if you really, and we haven't done that yet, but of course it was just me letting go going, well, of course that needs to happen. But that can be a very emotionally complex time because after 24 years, it would mean like, oh yeah, I guess I'm not always going to be the guy. And that's especially when there's people in the congregation who are saying, we want to hear from you. We love you. Yeah. We're here because of you, et cetera. So you have a lot of support, whether it's board members, staff members, congregation members, who would have said to me, stay as long as you possibly can. Right. And right. so those voices don't help you to make that more timely decision. And on my end, I mean, there are voices, especially from younger people saying, when are you going to be the guy up there? You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. And what is taking so is it, long? What's taking so long? And, and that's not easy to navigate, no. you know, because you kind of feel like, well, I have this base of support. I could just go do something with them. And his people aren't, the people talking to him aren't talking to me. That's and right. the people talking to me aren't talking to him. So you right. think that's that right. you're hearing the whole council. Everybody says yeah, I exactly. should stay. Everybody. Everyone <laughs> says it's time for you to move on, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, that's so funny. Great. And, and we'll be talking about it at the conference coming up. Yeah, so. that, the, uh, answering the some forward. questions. Yeah. yeah. Your emotions. You yeah. want to talk about that? My emotions today or? How about in process and then we'll in, get to today. In process. Yeah. I think that um, my emotions were 
really scared, but not scared to lead the church, scared to navigate the difficult conversations that were necessary to have with Lee. And I, um, I am not a verbal processor. I'm a, I need to sit and think on it by myself in isolation for like a couple days <laughs> to figure out what I even am trying to say. You know what I mean? Right. And that's even how I message prep. Like lock me, like lock me away from everybody for like two days, you know? And so I think that um, it was, I was very scared to have these conversations. And I, like I said, I did not want to be dishonoring. And I had this burden and this fire that I could not shake. So I had to wrestle that down. I, I had to figure out how do I handle these emotions of I've got to move on with what God's called me to do. And at the same time, I cannot dishonor Lee. And at the same time, it's not my right to push him out. Like, how do I process all of that? And to be honest, it, that was almost impossible for me to figure that out. Um, I had maybe one or two people who were totally confidential who I was able to talk about that with them. And that got me to the point where I was able in a very scared way to say, Lee, here's really where I'm at. And this is really what I need. Um, but once we were able to have those conversations, it resulted in peace. Mm -hmm. And so there were so many times since then over the last two years where I was able to say, Lee, do you know what? I don't like how we've been doing this. We need to do it that way. And those conversations were so easy. Mm -hmm. And, and, he would, and he, a, a lot of times he would say, okay, great, go for it. But there were other times where he would say, well, here's the other side or here's the other angle or you need to think about this fallout or you need to think about how this is going to roll out. And I'm so thankful for those yeah. conversations because yeah. I became a better leader as a result of those conversations. And honestly, I became a better communicator because I had to figure out how do I actually say what I'm trying to say here? Hmm. And, and, and Lee forced me to have to articulate those things. And that was, that's been great for me. Because yeah, in a conversation... I'm fine that he needs two days to think about it, but I'm expecting an answer within 30 seconds. <laughs> That's you're fine. verbal. You're like quick on your feet kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. He's very decisive, yeah. Do you, um, once you had that difficult dinner conversation, you worked through it, did it get easier after that? It was a million times easier because I think that what, and actually it, after that conversation about Christmas, which was probably six or eight months before the, the dinner, you know, about we didn't like how Christmas right. went. Um, Every time that we had one of those really difficult conversations, things did get easier because I think that every time that we went through sort of that hellish moment, yeah. we did come out on the other end with much deeper understanding of each other and much more um, respect and trust for each other because after the difficult conversation, Lee actually heard me and he decided to hear me and he decided to listen to what I was saying and on the other end, I think Lee felt like Jason actually told me what he was really thinking. Exactly. And neither of us went out to get troops to support our point of view. Right. Oh. Ever. Ever. United front. And, and to be honest, we're talking about this conversation. I doubt that our staff know that that conversation yeah. happened even today. Mm. Like, yeah. I don't think people know that that dinner happened. They've never seen me angry. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of processing... How, and, and we don't need names because obviously they're not going to mean anything and it's inappropriate, but you said you had one or two people mm -hmm. that you could process this with. How about you, Lee, who was your sounding board? It's a little, is it a little bit bigger than just spouses in this case? Yeah. I mean, your spouse helps you uh, keep an even keel. Uh, my spouse helped me to keep an even keel. Um, but Linda's great. I had a, uh, a good friend who had gone through this process a few years earlier here in... Pittsburgh. 
And I talked to him quite a bit um, about the emotions that he had going through it. And they're never identical, but he definitely could relate to what I was going through. And um, it just helps to be able to talk to somebody. And yeah. he, he probably leaned a little bit more on my side, at quote unquote. But just to be able to talk through it, you say, yeah, thanks for that. But you know what? We need to figure this out. Jason and I need to figure this out. And so it was probably someone who had gone through a succession themselves that was relatively successful that really helped me. Well, we had, we had two other really major advocates that helped us through the very difficult um, waters that we went through. One was Linda, Lee's wife. Mm. Because when Lee, you know, got sort of emotional and was all upset about it, Linda asked to spend some time just with me. And Linda was able to help me because she wasn't, she didn't carry the, um, you know, she didn't carry the same stuff that Lee carried. Uh, and so she was able to basically sit down with me and say, Jason, just help me understand exactly what you're trying to say here. And let me, let me just try to, um, you know, navigate this peace process a little bit. Right. And she was a huge advocate to help me to articulate what I'm feeling. She obviously understood what Lee was feeling and she was able to bring us both to the table. Was Linda nice to you then? Absolutely. She was nice <laughs> to me. She's going to be in big trouble. <laughs> now that I know that the, the, other person, the other person is Mark, who is the vice president of our board of directors because Mark loves Lee passionately. Mark loves me passionately. But above that, Mark has a vested interest in the church. And so he, he was really coming at it from the standpoint of what is better for the church. And so he was able to help us through that too. And I was able to call Mark and say, Mark, here's how I feel. And he was able to help me process through that. Lee was doing that as well with Mark. And so Mark was a good advocate. But we really kept that circle very tight because we knew that yeah, yeah. neither Lee nor Mark were going to, or, or Linda nor Mark, we're going to go share this with other people. Yeah, yeah, that's good. What were some of the good things you did? Because I think, you know, to, to, from everything I can see, and we're six weeks into it, but this has been a fairly healthy succession and it it's, appears to be in the initial stages going well, what were some keys to success that you said, okay, if you're thinking about this, pay attention to these two or three things. What are some things you did well? I think that we first decided that Lee and I were each going to be loyal to each other and that we were going to respect each other and champion each other. I want to make sure that Lee has the opportunity to do everything that God's called him to do. And I really always felt like Lee felt that way about me. Mm. Um, I think that that has been the thing that has kept this together. The, it's the personal relationship between me and Lee yeah. where it's commitment, it's loyalty, it's loyalty to each other, but it's loyalty to each other for the sake of the mission. Right. And I would, I would also just say, and, and there are probably a bunch of young leaders out there who are frustrated with where they are. I would just say to them, stay, you know, and, and obviously there are going to be some exceptions to that and some unhealthy dynamics that probably you shouldn't stay. But your number one role is not to have the platform that you want for yourself. Your number one role is to serve. The way oh, of Jesus, the way of Jesus is the way of service. And if we can serve people, we will look like Jesus. And hmm. that, that is what makes the church powerful and effective. And so it's not about what can I do to build my platform? It is not about what can I do to make sure I'm walking in my calling? That's not the question. The question is how can I serve people so that people experience Jesus? And if you need the spotlight in order to feel like you are doing what you're supposed to do, you're probably not ready to lead. Mm. 
good practices? Yeah, I do think that once we set a timetable to say, okay, what changes do you want to make? And what are the things that we need to change in not stylist, not just stylistically, but staffing and other things um, so that you can hit the ground running, you know, when, when the handoff takes place. And by the last few months, he was leading staff meetings, leading board meetings. Jason was taking care of those things with me present and supportive. But there, you know, but it was already happening, and um, so the succession was beginning long before it happened. Yes. Well, and and the model change too, or whatever you want mm -hmm. to call it, style approach change. At first, you kind of had what was ever happening downtown at the city campus, which was Jason's deal, the next gen deal, and then you were running things at Amplify Pittsburgh East the way you wanted to run it. But then eventually, and I'm just sharing what I observed. Yeah is some of Jason's style and approach started to show up at Pittsburgh East too. Yeah, because, the, the, you know, how healthy is it to have a shock that happens from one Sunday to another or something like right, that. Right. And so um, we were able to make that transition. And I actually was a piece about even the stylistic changes, mm -hmm. just a part of the process. You also said something earlier in the interview that you... You said you cashed in some chips. There were some changes that needed to be made, and you said, I got a lot of change in my pocket, so I'm going to do these things. Can you give us an example or two that you're comfortable sharing? Um, I think as we looked at the order of service to some degree, um, the number of times Jason was speaking compared to me, because people yeah. would have said, okay, at least in your last year, we want to hear you every week if we're not going to just be hearing you a lot in the future. And we actually shifted to where we were about 50-50 here at the Pittsburgh East Campus. And so there were a number of things that we were doing like that. Um, can you think of any other specific examples? I think staffing, I would say, okay, how do you want our staff to be structured? Hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, there were, I mean, there were a lot of things over the years where, um, Lee would say to me, hey, you feel really strongly about this, so I'm going to leverage my trust right. for the sake of this change so that right. you don't have to. And he consistently did that. I, I can't think of, you know, one or two really great examples off the top of my head, but there were that conversation was sort of always happening. And Lee really did everything in his power to make sure that I was set up for success and that if there were major things that I really wanted to change... He said, let me take the brunt of making that change so that you don't have to have fallout when you do it. Example, I was senior pastor over all our campuses, but also I was the campus pastor for Pittsburgh East. Mm. And so Jason was saying, when I move into that role, I want to serve as senior pastor, but I want to have a campus pastor at every campus. Mm. And so I thought, well, you could just do what I'm doing. That was my first thought. But then let's find out who the campus pastor for Pittsburgh East should be. Because I want to get them rolling while I'm the senior pastor right. so they can be one of the bridges um, that, that helps to strengthen the congregation's sense of stability during the change. And that's what we did. And, and to be honest, I think we're having a little bit of a hard time coming up with specific examples because I think that by the time that we actually made changes and decisions, it's hard for both of us to discern whose idea it was. Because mm -hmm. I think that we came to so much like we worked things out between us that by the time we actually did something, it's like, wait, was that Lee's idea? Or was that yeah. Jason's? Like the whole thing about the lead pastor, I didn't realize until just this moment. Oh yeah, I guess that was my idea. You know, because by the time we did it, we were so much on 
in sync. In sync with each other. Yeah, yeah. and it feels like almost as much a posture yeah. as it was a series of decisions. Yeah. When it came to the actual succession itself, what were that moment, which you did on Good Friday, yeah. that, that was the service where the handoff continued. So if you had to look at the date on the calendar, that's when it was. What were some things that worked really well for you guys? Well, it was a time when all our campuses would come together. It's a very moving communion service. And we thought everybody's in one room. And so it's a great time to do the handoff. And so I just talked about the commissioning of uh, Moses to Joshua, uh, even though it said, even though Moses was about to die. And that's not the reason I was doing it. <laughs> right, right. I'm not um, quite yet about to die. But, you know, I just honor Jason for what he had been doing. And Linda and I prayed for Jason and AJ and um, commissioned them to become senior pastor and said, he's about to now do his first message as senior pastor. And then I dropped the mic. <laughs> <laughs> what did that feel like in that moment to you? Great. Yeah. Again, and I think uh, something for senior pastors to really think about how many times do you see guys in their 60s or 70s who it ends badly? Don't leave too late. If you feel like you're leaving a little early, leave a little early. And there's such a good feeling about saying, okay, I fulfilled my assignment. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Good. Any other things on the actual succession itself? I mean, the, the Good Friday thing was really nice. I mean, Lee and Linda both had some really awesome things to say about us, but it was kind of understated. I mean, it was five minutes long. That's about it. And it was kind of, in a lot of ways, it almost felt a little anticlimactic because we've been talking about it and working right. you know, through it. And it wasn't a surprise to anybody, but it was a really beautiful moment. And um, yeah, it was, it was beautiful. It was exciting. Easter Sunday, we did a tag, tag team, team to kind of visually demonstrate it. So I did the first half of the message and then Jason did the second half. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's that was great. fun. Now... Again, we're six weeks into it, yeah. so it's, it's early, early days. But this is where it goes bad, too, yeah. because this is where I've seen, like, you're still at Amplify Church, and you still live uh, in the neighborhood. And this is where people like you and me take sticks of dynamite and blow up people's lives. Um, so what are some ways this could go wrong? What are you trying to avoid doing? What do you think some important landmines are to avoid right now? Well, I have an open invitation for the rest of my life as the founding pastor to all board meetings and all staff meetings. And since the changeover, I haven't been to one. <laughs> and right. I, if Jason invites me for some reason, we'll talk about it and I'll, sure. I'll consider coming. Um, and I just feel this way. If I am in any way besides in the role of a cheerleader and a coach, then I am undermining my own legacy. Ooh, wow. And to me, uh, a healthy, strong leader in Jason, taking the church into the next generation and the next phase, uh, next season of ministry, that to me is so much more honoring than me going and saying, oh, what, what things about Jason do you not like? Let's talk right. about it. You right. know, that's... So Can you say that again? If I am not, then I'm undermining my own legacy. If I'm, I'm undermining not. my own legacy, if I'm not there in the primary roles of cheerleader and coach, wow, I'm not yeah. there as visionary. Right. I am not there as director. I'm not there as strategist. 
Yeah. I'm there as cheerleader and coach. So good. And that's, and that's the best gift that Lee could give to me at this point too, because um, I have to be able to come in and be decisive and make decisions and say, here's who we are. Here's where we're going. Here's what's coming up. You know, we announced that we're starting three new campuses and you know, here, here's, here's what's ahead. And I can't have this pressure and this weight that I've got Lee who has a ton of influence and a ton of love from a lot of people. I can't have this pressure and weight thinking, mm. oh, he's going around behind my back undermining the things that I'm trying to move everyone towards. And he truly has been very hands-off the last six weeks. And of course, you know, if we're having an issue or whatever, I've got such an open opportunity to call him and be like, hey, what do you think about this? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, um, know, we had a couple of recent staff changes and last week we were together and I'm telling him sort of the details of what happened. And honestly, Lee's nothing but supportive and encouraging and you know, give me some advice if, if I'm asking for it, but he's not meddling. And our relationship is such, I went to North Point for two years before I came here. Yeah. And I always, uh, I, I tease about the fact that I wore a WW, one of those bracelets, what would Andy do? <laughs> yeah. And I knew enough, but just by being a part of the church to know that in my early time, after all these years, Jason knows exactly what I would do. I mean, <laughs> he almost doesn't need to call, but if he does, of course, I'll talk it through. But, um, There'd be no mystery as to, because we've lived life together. Yeah. What does it feel like, Lee, to just sit in a chair of a church you founded and not be the senior leader? I love coming to church and enjoying, and we're doing, at least through this summer, we're doing uh, let Jason get his momentum rolling and I'm not speaking Mm. at all this summer. So, um, and there's something about that that is freeing and it's really freeing me to get excited about i'm going back to school for my doctorate and i'm getting ready for future forward and so the things that i'm looking for forward to i can invest more into and just come and enjoy church jason what's it feel like for you well i think that you know i've preached with lee sitting in the second row for a lot of years and that was really difficult and intimidating for, for a lot of years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, he's shown such so much support and he has such been a cheerleader, um, especially over the last few months, that I'm just glad he's there, you know? Yeah. And, and I feel free to preach and say what I believe I'm supposed to say and do what I'm supposed to do. And I feel free to do that. And I know the, I know the things that Leap wouldn't have chosen to do that I've chosen to do. But he's there supporting, and that makes me feel great. And and I know in some cases that the recommendation is just disappear for six months or a year or forever. Yeah. It's better. And if you're going to be a contrarian, then it is better. Yeah. But for me to be sitting there and the people who are wondering about the change saying, Lee's here. Hmm. It sends a big, big message. I'm, I'm here too. Did you guys feel a shift in weight? Yeah. Jason, did you feel the weight of leadership? We talk about it all the time. But. It was so much like this was so long anticipated. Yeah, I mean, like mm. we've been talking about this for, I guess, 15 years. 15 years yeah. you know? So it's been so long anticipated that I just kind of felt like I'm going to step into this thing. And it's like, it's, it's, no, it's nothing. I stepped into it and, and things inside of my own internal perspective shifted immediately. Mm. And I, I um, am very surprised by it. I think that all of a sudden some things immediately changed inside of me. Hmm. One was I had more clarity about things inside of our church that were holding back momentum than I've ever had before and more 
confidence and guts to say, we are not going to keep doing that. You know, and it's not things that like Lee, mm-hmm. it's, it's not changing Lee's things. It's just more, I see down through the layers more clearly than I've ever seen before. And it's like, wow. oh my gosh, that has to change, that has to change, that has to change. And it's not major systemic changes. It's more like that person's not performing right. Or that this ministry isn't doing what it needs to be doing. Or this thing is a little bit out of alignment. And we're going to deal with that right now because I have no tolerance for waiting for another five years to try and get the things in order. And in, in most of those cases, they weren't uh, things that I had initiated. No, they, they were right. things I did. He had recommended. And so now he's working on it. And, you know, for me, I just thought, I can't believe I get to start my next season of life mm. completely two years earlier with two more healthy, strong, amazing years. And what are you doing? Well, like I said, I'm going back for my doctorate, but then also we've, we've got this Future Forward conference coming up that mm-hmm. you spoke at last year and you'll get to speak at this of, year. We're excited. to be back at it again this fall. Awesome wife will be here and yeah. Sam Collier will be here. And um, I think it's just this idea of how can leaders fully engage the next generation and that includes the whole story of succession, which Jason and I will take questions on and, and talk about yeah, at the conference. We're going to talk about that this fall, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so um, so we're ramping up October 1st and 2nd right mm. here. It's going to be great. Anything else you guys want to share before we wrap up? I think that um, succession is really hard, yeah. but it is absolutely worth it. Mm. And it requires, it requires laying down yourself for the sake of somebody else. But isn't mm. that exactly the gospel? And isn't that the whole message of Jesus? Lay down yourself for somebody else. And, it requ- and, and succession requires that on all fronts by all people involved. And that is, that's the way of Jesus. And let's do it because it's gonna make the church stronger over the generations. And let's not have to start from the ground up with every generation. Let's build on the ceiling that other people have, you know, let's build on the ceilings that other people have left behind because that will make the, the church much more effective and strong as we move into the future. Lee, final word. Yep. Don't wait too long. It's, um, uh, it's better. You know, we have a a friend who is, um, a week before the succession was going to take place, slid a piece of paper to the successor to sign with all these agreements. And, um, the person couldn't sign it. And so they called the whole thing off. And I thought, wow, don't wait too long. And, I kept saying to Jason, I got that piece of paper ready to slip in front of you. <laughs> no, and finally, after Good Friday, he knew there was no paper. But yeah. um, you know what? God's got such amazing things for you in every season of life. Yeah. Don't think about what you're going to lose. Think about what you're going to gain. So good. Mm. That's so good. That's good. So if they want to come to Future Forward, what's the website? Futureforwardchurches.com. Mm-hmm. And you're doing a little uh, event too. Yeah, we are. We've got Amplify Conference coming up in November after Future Forward. Future Forward's for church leaders. Amplify Conference is for um, anybody to come and experience Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Levi and Jenny Lusco are coming. Chad Beach is coming. It's going to be a really awesome time here in Pittsburgh. November, um, second week of November. So you can find out more at AmplifyChurch.com. That's awesome. Guys, thank you so much. I know you've helped a lot of churches. I think this uh, conversation maybe has helped bump the needle in a lot of churches. Thank you. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you, good friend. Well, that one was rich and that one was real. And if you want more, you can find out more in the show notes, carrienewhoff.com slash episode 283. We have transcripts 
Uh, although this one will not be on YouTube. Also, we're popping up a number of episodes on YouTube these days. You can find that under my name on YouTube. So you can just search for that. And if you found this conversation helpful, uh, we are going to be in Pittsburgh at Amplified Church October 1st through 2nd. And by we, I mean me, my wife, Tony, uh, the two people who are in this interview, Lee and Jason are going to be there. We're doing a whole event together. And you can register now at futureforwardchurches.com slash the conference and you get group rates. So make sure you check that out, Future Forward Churches. That's October 1st and 2nd. I will be there live. Also, make sure you don't miss Andy Stanley. He's going to four cities this fall for the Irresistible Tour. I will be joining him for the tour stop in Austin. It's happening in Seattle, Phoenix, Kansas City, and also Austin. So you can go to irresistibletour.com, use the coupon code CARRY19, get $20 off the regular price. And of course, thank you so much to Promedia Fire, a partner of this podcast for helping so many churches with custom graphic design and video. You can go to promediafire.com forward slash carry to learn more there. Hey, in a couple of days, we're back with a fresh episode. And this time I sit down with another Pittsburghian. Is that what we say? Pittsburghian? I guess so. Uh, Mark Sorreo. And he's somebody I met through Lee and Jason, and he runs one of the best bakeries and the most successful bakeries in America. Uh, When he opened up his brand new bakery, the food is so good, it created traffic jams, like people lined up for miles to get in. I'm not kidding. He's got this, like most bakeries are tiny. He's, He's broken all the rules on bakeries and had a thriving business in this town in the middle of nowhere outside of Pittsburgh and like literally has a national reputation. We talk all about it. So here's an excerpt from Thursday's episode. Not too long after that, um, I said, you know, I'm working, I'm looking at the books. And I said to my wife, I'm, I'm nervous about this. You know, we got to pay these bills. And um, so she said, well, then I guess we better write a bigger check to the church. And we did. And that became our regular pattern of giving. And we never really struggled any. We, I don't remember after that ever really struggling financially paying our bills. So over the years, we we took some we we made some pretty bold moves when the church was struggling and really needed our help. We helped, but God blessed us a lot more than I think we blessed the church. So Mark will tell you how you get a world class bakery with huge lines in a village of six thousand people by breaking all the rules. <laughs> if you subscribe to this podcast, you get it absolutely free, guys. Thank you so much. We have the fifth anniversary coming up. Nine million downloads. It's insane. And uh, yeah, five years. So we're going to celebrate. We got some fun stuff and I'll tell you about that real soon. In the meantime, thanks so much for listening. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change and personal growth to help you lead like never before.